I appreciate it. Uh, Diana mentioning Billy Graham in prayer today and uh, a well-known name to many of us. Um, a few of us share an alma mater with him up the road. And uh, actually, mate, Billy Graham and I both have our bachelor's in anthropology from Wheaton College. That's about the only similarity other than we both love Jesus. But um, it just reminded me of a, a, a story. Um, uh, my dad grew up in Western Springs, and uh, my grandparents lived there for several decades. And as I was uh, headed towards ministry in the late 70s, just a few years actually before she died, she just so wanted to tell me this story. My grandmother. My grandmother wanted, thank you. Um, my grandmother wanted to tell me this story. Um, she said, uh, it was sometime in the early 40s, she said, I, I remember uh, getting ready to take the train into Chicago, and there was this young man there. And, and of course, in those days, she would have noted that he had an open collar. Nobody traveled with an open collar, but this young man did. Um, things like that were important in my family of origin, but we're not going there today. Anyway, um, but she had the nicest conversation they rode into the city to, together, and he was the new pastor at that Baptist church in Western Springs. And so she wanted me to know that she'd met Billy Graham back when uh, he was a Baptist pastor in Western Springs. He only stayed there a couple years before he started his careers, but I appreciated those words of uh, connection from my grandmother. This is our niece, Sarah, who just surprised us in from Kalamazoo. Hi, Sarah, in case you're wondering who that person was, so great to see you. Um, a couple weeks ago, I was reading the, in the Tribune, and one of the columnists is Eric Zorn, and he was writing, he had just turned 60, and, um, which was so long ago for me. But anyway, he had just turned 60, and he'd, he wrote an article, which was my 14-point plan to be a good old man. My 14-point plan to be a good old man. It was very fun, and I'm not going to go into all 14, but I'll just give you uh, a, a few of them. Uh, one of them was create or, or honor the creativity and idealism of youth. Isn't that great? Honor and, cre- and honor the creativity and idealism of youth. Another one was stay curious. In other words, keep learning. Another one was keep your mind open. And I love this tagline to that. Don't be like those who confuse rigidity with having strong principles. Oh, that's good, isn't it? Yeah. So embrace technology. Give pop, give pop culture a chance. <laughs> Don't eat like you're still 25. <laughs> and he says you'll live longer and feel better. <laughs> and I love this one. Remember to smile. It will brighten your aspect and your voice and serve as a corrective to the inevitable facial droop. (laughs) Cultivate hobbies. Get good hearing aids. (laughs) But number one was my favorite. Limit organ recitals. To Zorn, he Zorn says this, the term, quote, organ recital, one of my father's favorites, refers to a long explanation of or conversation about Aches and ailments, particularly of the chronic variety. Our maladies maladies preoccupy us naturally, but they tend to bore others and can come to define us if we're not careful. Unless circumstances are dire, unless circumstances are dire, the proper answer to how are you is fine, thanks, you. (laughs) Organ recital. Isn't that great? I've been using that ever since. I like that, and I'm trying not to give too many organ recitals myself. But you know what? When things are happening to your body, it's hard, isn't it? (laughs) When things keep happening to our bodies, we can't help sometimes but talk about it. When we are in discomfort or pain, when we have to cut back on or eliminate some of our normal activities for a short time or for good, activities that have been fun or brought us pleasure in the past. And it's not just those of us who are aging. It can happen in any age. 
in athletics and exercise can open up, in, up into injury. I spent a lot of time in my PT, physical therapist's office, I tell you, and not everybody in there is young. They do all the runners from the high schools in the area and North Central, and there's always young people, and they're trying to recover from some injury. And being a runner myself, I know that runners, we're good at organ recitals too. It can happen through accidents, and disease can strike at any age, and bugs can affect us all, even little Stefan Buki today who we pray for. It's hard because our bodies are, are where we live. <laughs> we can't get away from them. And life is just better when our bodies are functioning at their best. And at the risk of giving my own recital, my left foot's not working so well, so the therapist has had me do the... Never mind. <laughs> I'm fine. It just works better when all the parts are working together well, and it's the same with the body of Christ. In fact, this image of the body of Christ is one of the most vivid images that we have of the church in Scripture. You could hear it woven into the words that Roy just read for us from Ephesians chapter 4. The church is the body of Christ, the church which is God's means of bringing hope and change into a broken world. That's the body of Christ. So when the body of Christ isn't functioning well, when not all of the parts are healthy and connected well, the church is not living into its purpose of bringing hope and change. The effectiveness of the church is limited when the parts aren't working well, when there is discomfort and pain, or as we may speak of organizations, when there is dysfunction and discord. The church is the body of Christ, and he is the head of the body. We are the body of Christ. We are all parts of that body. I don't usually do this, turn to your neighbor and say things, but I'm going to try it now. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a body part. (laughs) How did that feel? Was that kind of weird? Maybe I should choose something better when I do the audience response thing. Can I get an amen? Whatever, yeah. (laughs) Just all you had to say was you're a body part. You didn't have to have a conversation, okay? See, that's why we don't do that here. (laughs) Chat about that for 10 minutes and we'll pull back. No. We are the body of Christ. We are all parts of the body. And a healthy body is one in which all the parts are working well together. A healthy physical body is in one in which the healthy, the parts are working well and living into their function, and so too the church, which brings us back to our shape for ministry. This is our sixth week. For the first five weeks, we dug into S-H-A-P-E. We saw spiritual gifts as being key, as something that God gives us when we come to faith. Our heart being those things that we're passionate about when we, when we consider the needs in the world. A are those abilities that we perhaps acquired or just natural abilities that we have. P is our personality, the way that we are wired in our personality. Last week, we looked at our experiences, the positive ones and sometimes and especially the painful ones that affect us and mold us and shape us and, in fact, can make us even more effective for ministries of compassion and care. The church is its healthiest and most effective in bringing hope and change when we're all living into our shape, playing the role, the part for which God has shaped us. And that's why it matters. Kayla and Diane and I decided today's sermon title was Why It Matters That We Know Our Shape. It is not for our simple self-awareness. It's not for our own self-actualization. It's not so that we feel better about ourselves or that we might be jealous of others and their gift. Paul deals with that a lot in 1 Corinthians. No, it's so that we can join God in what he is doing in the world.
God has created and shaped each of us as unique individuals in his image, including the ways in which he has prepared us, wired us, and gifted us for service and ministry. And together we have been discovering his shape for each of us. And today we try to answer this question, or at least give a good shot at it, of why does discovering my shape matter? Well, there's a few things to consider as we answer that question. First of all, there's the, the unity and diversity thing. That's one reason it matters. There's the equipping building thing that we read about here in Ephesians. That's another thing that matters. But the main reason it matters is the hope thing. Because we're called to change the world as the body of Christ. Let's look at the unity and diversity thing first. It's a powerful theme in what Roy just read for us from Ephesians 4. But it really goes back to Jesus' vision. Vision, we're learning a lot about that around here. A vision is a preferred future. As we look ahead, what do we want to see for our church? What do we see for kingdom impact? And we get Jesus' vision for his church, his body, in John's gospel. John is the fourth of the gospels at the beginning of the New Testament. And John is the one who tells us the most about what happened the night before Jesus uh, went to the cross. And John is the only one that includes in all of chapter 17 of John is this long, long prayer of Jesus to his father. But in verse 20, we jump in and he says this, My prayer, God, is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. He's speaking to the disciples. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. You can hear the theme of unity there. He says, I want them to be one. But the diversity, the diversity actually comes in this father and son. He says, Father, you are in me and I am in you, but we're different. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have, are different expressions of the one true God. They are different functions in terms of the plan of salvation and the plan of restoration. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are different manifestations of the one fullness of the God, of God, or the Godhead, as we may say. Father, we're working as one. We are working as one, and that's my vision for this church, for these disciples, what starts right here. So playing our part, playing the role that we are shaped for matters because it's tied to the vision of Jesus, the prayer of Jesus the night before he was crucified. And it's tied to the reality of what happens in the triune Godhead. Then in the letters of Paul, the, which is the rest of the New Testament after these Gospels, this unity, diversity things finds an expression in this image of the body of Christ. I'm not going to read all of 1 Corinthians 12. I encourage you to do that. But it's a chapter where Paul talks about, uh, goes into a lot of detail about spiritual gifts and then the body parts all working together, needing each other. I just picked two verses out here. In verse 12, he says, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. And then verse 27 says, now you are the body of Christ and each of you is part of it. And then Paul actually gets a little bit silly in 1 Corinthians 12. He starts talking about how the whole body can't be an eye and the whole body can't be an ear, which is sort of unusual. When your ear hurts, sometimes it feels like it's your whole body, right? (laughs) Nor can the body parts tell each other that they're not needed. And I can't say that to an ear. So Paul kind of plays this out somewhat humorously, maybe more funny then than now, but to kind of make his point that every part has to work well together. And then he makes a point that no one part is more important than another either. Romans 12, also written by Paul, has a similar message of unity diversity. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So playing our part, the the role that we are shaped for, 
matters. It matters because the unity and the functioning of the body of the Christ, a body of Christ, the church, depends on it. Now, Paul uses this image in Romans and 1 Corinthians, but back to our text in Ephesians where he adds another image to that body and he talks about the head. The head, Jesus. The head holds it all together. It reminds us that we are centered in Jesus. To call Jesus the head implies a lot of things. It implies uh, authority, um, guidance, uh, direction. It implies, actually, uh, when we think of a literal body, it applies coordination. Everything is coordinated up here to make sure this thing works together. To call Jesus the head assures us that our unity um, is in our diversity, especially in our diversity, because the body parts are all different, but we're unified through the head. No matter who we are, no matter where we are from, male or female, rich or poor, young or old, and in those days they would say slave or free, whatever our ethnic heritage and background, if we are related to Jesus, we are related to each other. I kind of like that turn to your neighbor thing. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're my brother, you're my sister. Okay, good. It didn't work that well. We'll We're not going to do that anymore. Anyway, okay, but um, that wasn't in my notes. I'm just... It's scary when he goes off off, uh, off script, so just uh, pray for me. (laughs) Can somebody come pray for me? No, no, sorry. (laughs) But seriously, all of these things that are different about us, male, female, rich, poor, old, young, all these things, our background, our cultural heritage, our ethnic identity, if we are related in Jesus or related to Jesus, we are related to each other. We are the church. This is especially important to us here at Naperville Covenant at this point in our history or our narrative, you might say, as a church. It's especially important to us now as we discern our vision for our future. What is the preferred future for Naperville Covenant? And one of the questions we have been asking that keeps coming up is what role does our ethnic diversity play in our future? We, we have identified that it's a strength, and, and, and we like it that we have a, a gradually increasing ethnic diversity here. We are made rich by that diversity, but, but we need to ask some deeper questions of how will that lead us forward, and what will it mean as we move forward? What does it mean as we reach out and seek to reach a world that's increasingly diverse? What will we look like, and how will we function differently as a church in the future? How will we function differently? What will be the makeup of staff and and, and leadership teams as we really embrace this and move towards it? But the important question is, how will that lead us forward with Jesus at the center? This is what gives our conversation, this is what gives our visioning around this a biblical grounding, a theological basis, and not just a cultural base. Most of you know that the word diversity is used a lot, and a lot of you in your corporate settings have been through diversity training, right? And you roll your eyes, not because you don't like diversity, but because you have work to do. And why are they making you do this training? I already get it, right? You don't have to shake your head because somebody might misunderstand. But, but we're taking it out of that place where it's just a cliche. We're saying it's in the Bible. This is a, this is a theological and biblical and Jesus-centered basis to our understanding our diversity, and in particular is this church, 
all the things that are different about us, and there's more than just our ethnic diversity, but that's the one thing we're trying to get a handle on. We've used the word and description of multi-ethnic. It's that's a, for some people, it's a confusing word. It's, a, it's a, 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 maybe too visionary or whatever, but the word ethnic comes from a biblical word, ethnos, which means people in Scripture. The difference in people, usually in the Greek word, ethnos is used. Some of you are familiar with the vision of heaven that we get in, in Revelation, of all these people from different ti- tribes, tongues, and nations. And the word ethnos is used there. So whether we use the word multi-ethnic or not, that's what we try to live into. But just as they're gathered in Revelation around who is on the throne, centered in Christ, so too will be our visioning and our planning around that. That's just one part of our understanding here at Neverville Covenant about God, how God is shaping us and using us as a church. So playing our part, the role we are shaped for matters. It matters because it's tied to the vision of Jesus and the reality of who God is. It matters because the unity and functioning of the body of Christ, the church depends on it. And actually depends on our affirming and embracing all of those things that separate us and make us different from each other. We need to know how we're shaped to work together. That's the unity diversity thing, and I want to just take a quick look at the equipping building thing. Back to the reading in Paul's letter to the Ephesian church, the gifts and shapes of its members help equip and build up the church, the body of Christ, helping it to be, as Paul uses the word here, a mature church, and I add the word healthy here. Paul says that maturity comes as we body parts learn and and grow and become rightly connected to each other all the while rightly connected to Jesus. He speaks of maturity, the body growing in maturity. We speak of, of growing in health as a church, where we speak openly with each other, where we affirm that there are things that, different, we're, that are different about us, but we are, are one in Christ. We even agree that we can disagree agreeably in the church. We agree that we will speak openly about things. We agree that we will have conversations that help uh, advance the mission of the church and not things that might tear each other down or advance only one quiet hidden agenda. We try to strive for health as we grow as a church and affirm all kinds of people in our midst. The equipping building thing says that we'll continue to be a mature and healthy church, and that's why the shape matters. In verses 15 and 16, we see that this maturity and growth is nurtured by a commitment to truth and love. I love these last few words of today's reading, where Paul, speaking to the Ephesians, says, speaking the truth in love which means sometimes truth is hard and painful, but we'll do it in love. Doing that, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, just as each part does its work. A commitment to do that where we speak the truth the truth of, of Scripture, but the truth of, of an opinion sometimes even, and yet with a respect for the other. And we do it in love because we take our lead from Jesus, who starts and ends with love. Building itself up in love as each part does its work. Each part doing its work. It matters. Finally, our shape and the role we play matters because of the hope thing. The church is its healthiest and most effective in bringing hope and change when we are all living into our shape, playing the role, the part for which God has shaped us. 
I couldn't help but think of such a powerful phrase that Bill Hybels, some of you know who Bill Hybels is. He started Willow Creek Community Church a little over 40 years ago in Barrington. Thousands and thousands of people go to church there, but he's had a powerful ministry there of giving hope to leaders and to followers of Christ for years. And he says over and over again, the church is the hope of the world. The church is the hope of the world. And some people kind of grimace a little bit because they don't see the church doing it that well. And he's talking about when you look at Scripture and you see the church doing what it does best, the church is the hope of the world. In fact, he says it so well, we're going to finish with about five minutes of him talking, okay? Because as I, I, I was researching this week, I came across this clip. Uh, another thing that Bill does, they do church on Sunday, of course, but they do once a year, they do the Global Leadership Summit. Uh, he's actually, Bill's about six weeks older than I am. He is also stepping aside, but, um, and now they, in his place is a, a team. Uh, the new lead pastor at Willow Creek uh, is a woman, Heather, and then another teaching pastor with her. I can't remember his name, but, uh, but he still will continue to lead the Global uh, Summit. And this is a clip from that. So are we ready to roll on that, Andrew? Great, thanks. And I hope you understand. I really do that one of the greatest privileges in all of life is when Jesus taps you on the shoulder and says, Hey, Phil. Hey, Brian. Hey, Jason. Hey, Ashley. Hey, Melinda. I have a critical role for you to play as I'm building my church in this world. And part of the reason I called you to myself and redeemed you from sin and gifted you with spiritual gifts and prepared you your whole life was for you to be able to step into this particular critical role in the church that I'm building here in New York or Manila or Beijing or Buenos Aires. I need you, Brian. I need you, Phil. I need you, Ashley. I need you, Melinda. Will you join me as I build my church? It's the hope of the world, you know. Friends, if you have ever felt that kind of tap on your shoulder or that prompting in your spirit from Jesus, the Savior of the world, to join him in building his church. And if you're a Christian, you should have already felt that tap at some point in your life or maybe you're feeling it right now. For God's sake, how do you say no to an invitation like that? How do you blow that off? Please help me understand. How do you say, hey, God, even though you're building your church, uh, technically the hope of the world, I'm pretty busy building my thing. I'm pretty interested in my career, my reputation, my golf game, my net worth, my retirement fund. So, hey, Jesus, how about you go ahead and keep building your church? I'll keep building what I'm building. Really? Don't be that guy. You'll regret it forever. Don't be that woman. Don't be that student. It's never made sense to me how someone can say they love God and when he taps them on the shoulder, invites them into the greatest endeavor going on on the planet, they go, no thanks, I'm building my thing. It doesn't compute. I hope it never does. In my view, the morning prayer of every sincere Christ follower on planet Earth should be God This new day, I freshly commit myself to the role you've invited me to play as you're building your church in this world. 
I'm awestruck again this morning, God, that you would include me in this grand, life-giving, world-transforming endeavor called the church. So today I joyfully offer you again my love, my heart, my talents, my energy, my creativity, my faithfulness, my resources, and my gratitude. I commit all of myself to the role you've assigned to me in the building of your church so that it may thrive in the world. And I will bring it today, God. I will bring it. I'll bring my best. You deserve it. Your church deserves it. It is the hope of the world, I know. Have you ever prayed that prayer? Is it time? How about praying it every day for the next 30 days? Just see what God does. See how he speaks to you. Gang, can you imagine if the two billion people in the world today who claim to be Christ followers would pray that morning prayer of surrender every single day and then do as God whispers for them to do? Can you imagine what would happen to his church? Closer to home, can you imagine if the 160,000 leaders who are part of the global summit this year would start every day with a prayer like that and mean it and get up off their knees and join God full on in building his church? My mind can barely grasp what would happen in the church and in the world if all of us were to do this. I do know this. The gates of hell that Jesus mentioned would melt away and the church would prevail in ways the world has never witnessed. We would see demonstrations of supernatural power reminiscent of the church in Acts chapter 2. And I, for one, am aching to see this. And I hope you are as well. Now... I I thought long and hard about how to close the summit this year. And I prayed for many, many weeks. And the only consistent whisper that I heard from God was, Bill, call people unapologetically to join me as I'm building my church, the hope of the world. And so that's precisely what I'm going to do. Would you take out this card that all of you were given at all of the sites, all over the place? Would you take this card out and would you just get ready to use it? You don't have a card. (laughs) You do have the outline in the bulletin that that I prepared uh, for today. And um, it has some space on there for you to work through this idea of shape shape assessments. There's a, there's still several of them on the table out in the narthex if you want to pick one up that has a spiritual gift inventory, other things. But just to work your way through issues of spiritual gift, heart, abilities, personality, and experience. But the question I want to leave you with for homework and for prayer and reflection as we close now is the final part there. And using some of the language that Bill Hybels used as well. Where is God calling you to join him in building his church, the body of Christ? And then this image that Bill used, where do you sense that God has tapped you on your shoulder, inviting you into a role in building his kingdom and fixing this broken world? Let's reflect on that in silence for a moment, and I'll close in prayer. God, I thank you that even as we ask that question, there are some in this room that know that answer and are fully, fully living into it. 
Others of us want to do a better job at um, listening well and functioning in this body well. And others, perhaps of us, Lord, just need this challenge to take a fresh look at what it means and why it matters to be a follower of Christ connected to others in this body that we call the church. Lord, we invite your spirit to draw us deeper in and closer to you and then to go further out in mission to join you in the work that you're doing in this world. We pray it in your name. Amen.